Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola mis remarcables, yo soy Pal Charles y esto es Vive Remarkable con una edición súper especial por el mes de la herencia latina. En los siguientes episodios conocerás las más inspiradoras historias remarcables de latinas que están siendo las heroínas de sus propias vidas, creándose las mejores oportunidades derribando un miedo a la vez. Todos tenemos una historia que contar e inspirar a crear un mundo mejor. Quédate en este episodio de Vive Remarkable. Everything you want is on the other side of fear. Jack Canfield. Hello, my Remarkables. I am Pals Charles, and I am welcome you to this inspiring Historias Remarkables, where my friends will inspire you with their incredible experiences, and they will share their best life hacks that will help you save time, sweat, and pain. All we want is to help you raise your emotional intelligence and awareness so that you face the difficulties of life with more security, coherence, and empathy for yourself. Today, we're going to have a special episode. This episode of Historias Remarcables will be my first interview in English. And even though I speak daily, I must confess that I feel kind of nervous because my today's guest is such a remarkable woman. Denise Soler Cox is a Latina filmmaker author, transformational keynote speaker. Denise is the co-director and co-producer of the award-winning documentary, Bin Enye. She has been the featured speaker in amazing places like Facebook, LinkedIn, Amazon, and Vader Media, as well as being a two-time TDX speaker, to name a few. Denise is the creator and host of the Selfish Latina podcast, where you can find stories about how Latinx culture and society shape our belief and behaviors around who we think we are, what we believe is possible, and ultimately discovering where we belong. Denise Soler Cox is a proud Latina, an incredible mom, a successful entrepreneur, and a remarkable professional who wants to ignite the love of our culture and the meaning to belong all over the world. Hello and welcome to Be The Remarkable, my dear Denise. I am awfully excited and grateful that you are with us today. I really love invited women who have the same vision of raising the best potential in the world. How are you? I am awesome and it is so exciting to have been invited to speak with you today. Thank you, thank you so much. For me, oh my God, this is a blessing, a really blessing that you are here. Thank Denise, you. we're going to start this interview meditating in a quote that I'm going to read for you. So this is the quote. Your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Ramana Maharshi. How does it land to you? Well, I mean, that is a very powerful quote because it really, to me, says our job is to be aware of ourselves. And that is the, the greatest gift we can give to the world is to be the most self-aware version of ourself. And I think sometimes 
people think the greatest gifts are the things that we do for other people, like physical things, like let me help you, uh, let me do some volunteer work, let me help my neighbor uh, put away her groceries, let me, uh, you know, do some something external, and those things are important. But what you shared, that quote is incredibly relevant to me because it is also what I teach, which is we can't really be servants to anyone unless we fully understand who we are and like forgive ourselves for who we are and like accept ourselves for who we are. That's really powerful. And how can we start doing, doing what you just said? How can we start knowing ourselves? Well, I think it starts with willingness. I think, you know, again, there's like this, I like looking at life like the external life and internal. And oftentimes we look at the external and assign blame or responsibility outside of ourselves for things being the way they are. And if only they weren't like that, then I would be amazing, right? And oftentimes, if we examine the internal, right, and we don't assign responsibility to the external, but we take responsibility for that which we can control, we actually become free. So there has to be a willingness to look inside. There has to be um, some good reason for me to say, I want to change my life and I want to stop blaming the outside world for the reason why I can't change, right? So for my film, um, I, spent fit, or I spent 17 years, one seven, delaying making it because I thought I didn't have stuff in the external world when really all I needed to do was make a decision that I was willing to do and be whoever I needed to be. And that's what set the ball in motion for Project Enya. What kind of awakeness happened in your life that you said, no, you know, stop. I've spent a lot of time, you know, delaying this project. You know, this is the time that I'm going to do it. What's happened in your life? Well, you know what? It just, I have this idea and it's not my own. I've heard it so many different times in different ways that eventually as human beings, we just like certain things have an expiration date. And if we have self-awareness, we know when that is. So for me, I talked and talked and talked and talked about a movie I wanted to make one day, someday. It was going to be amazing. It was going to be about the Latino experience in the United States and all, all the feelings and experiences that people go through. And I was going to validate a generation of people. And I literally, I, I, it was my favorite thing to talk about, right? And every single New Year's Day, I would write my goals for the year. So I would always sit down and write my goals for the year. And I realized that this goal that I had written, um, I was going to write it for the 17th time. And I have no idea why it struck me that morning as total BS, but it did. I literally was going to write down, I'm going to make the movie or make movie is what I would say, make movie. Because we didn't have, we didn't have the name Project Indian that we didn't have any of that stuff yet. And, um, and I was like, wow, I'm never going to do this. I'm, I just, I know myself, I haven't done it. And if I'm going to write it 17 times, I better at least start doing it. I just got sick of writing it down. 
And so for some people, they might uh, maybe more normal people than me, because it took me 17 years. <laughs> but like maybe after three years, someone gets sick of talking about it, or maybe five or maybe six months. Hopefully it's the shortest amount of time, right? But for me, it took 17 years. And I was like, wow, I'm really full of poop. I never am going to do this. And if I was listening to myself, I would have lost all credibility. Like people that talk about stuff they're going to do one day and never do it. When I hear them talking, um, I often don't meet people like that. I, I usually don't have people like that in my circle anymore. But when I did, I would lose respect for them because really I was losing respect for myself. And the 17th time I had lost all respect, right? Mm -hmm. So I had no patience for other people talking and not acting and no patience for myself to talk and not act. So I decided I'm going to do whatever I need to do this year. And what I said was I wanted to make significant progress because I, I'd never made a film. I didn't know how to make a film. I didn't know anyone that had ever made a film. I had never read a book. I'd never done, read, uh, uh, seen anything, watched a single video, okay? I knew nothing about how to make a movie. So I had no idea how long it was gonna take me, but it gave myself a year. And I said, next year at this time, if I haven't made significant prog progress, I will never talk about this again. And I just made a decision. And it was really out of um, like desperation to have, to like reach for a life that I believed I could have, but that part of me felt like would never be possible, if that makes sense. And I wanted to give myself a year to try to have that life. And I knew that making the movie was the key to having that life, if that makes sense. Yes, totally sense, because I feel the same when I took the decision to start this podcast. Yes, <laughs> and I feel the, the same. I have a question about that, because you, as a dreamer, like everybody else, you didn't have the resources. I mean, you didn't have the money, you didn't have the people, as you mentioned. What did you do first? Because, you know, when you took a decision, there are a lot of people that say, no, but you are going to need more of this. Maybe you, you are lacking of this. How did you manage that moment? You know why? Because Latin America, especially an entrepreneur, yeah, there's this thinking about that the octopus syndrome. That does mean that if you want to show to the market, you as an entrepreneur, you have to do everything by yourself. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. okay. and, and I don't think that is, that is good, right? No, not mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Because you need a community. You need somebody to, to help you. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So how do you start doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just writing this down because I that is really, that's a fascinating idea. And I want to look into that. Um, so how did I do it? It's the weirdest thing. Like, here's, here's what I know for sure is that you don't in order to make something happen in the world, first it's an idea. And I know these simple things often are discounted. And so anyone that's listening, listen harder when I tell you this. You are discounting that everything that is physically real in your life started out with a thought. The second thing or third thing was how. But the first thing was the thought, right? And so this, I just allowed myself to believe that the how would come to me. And other, some people call it faith. Some people call it divine guidance. 
um, I spent a lot of time asking, what do I do now? Right? Asking source, God, the universe, whatever, higher power, higher intelligence. And I literally allowed that to guide me because I knew that as soon as I made the decision, I had the idea and then I made the decision and then the how I was going to leave up to something else because I think that people, it's very interesting. People have a relationship to what's possible and they think that it's whatever is possible in any person's life is like the limits that they put on like the possibility for their life. So here's the thing. If someone doesn't believe it's possible for them to make a, mo a movie with no money, no experience and no connections, then they'll never make that movie. Right. Mm -hmm. But if people believe I'm going to make the movie with no money, no connections and no know-how, they have a much higher uh, chance of making the film. And so it's all about the boundaries of what people believe are possible. And so what I decided to do was believe that something was possible beyond what I could conceive in my mind. And so um, it's a very important distinction because people walk around their lives with belief systems about themselves. Like this isn't possible for me. I can't do this because I don't have X, Y, or Z. But what they're not realizing is that X, Y, or Z can exist for somebody else just because they believe that it does and that they're just determined to find it. Does that make sense? Yes, totally sense. It's incredible. Thought that you came from that background of filming movies or that kind of things. What did you study? Um, I studied communications. Mm -hmm. I actually went, and so I have a communications degree from Boston University, mm -hmm. and I have a ma I have a half a master's in education, which is kind of funny, because mm -hmm. part of me wanted to be a teacher. I knew I was a teacher, uh, but not a formal education teacher. So mm -hmm. I actually left my master's program, um, realizing this is not my path, and I, I just have to trust that my path will be revealed to me. I also loved and always have loved psychology and sociology and storytelling. But again, um, in my family, it really wasn't valued um, to, to, you know, become a filmmaker, let's say, or an artist. Do you know what I mean? Yes, like, of course. I guess that's something from all over the world. <laughs> yeah. So I told my daughters um, they can do whatever they want. Like my daughter, my 11-year-old daughter wants a unicorn farm. And I told her, we're gonna like, I'm, mommy's gonna help you. And we're gonna have unicorns there. And literally my mother said, you have, what's, that's not realistic. And I'm like, mom, don't mess up her dream. Like she wants a farm, we're gonna have unicorns. I have no idea what that's gonna look like. Mm -hmm. And of course, we're gonna have to use our imagination, but I will tell you what, kids from all over the place are gonna wanna come and see these unicorns. I won't rob my daughter of that dream. And I'm going to support her 100%. I just said we have to make sure that it makes money for you. <laughs> no, of course. And totally agree with you because it's, I, I told you before I worked for a Montessori school and we always encourage kids to dream big. Even, even if for adults, it's okay, are you going to raise unicorns? Really? Okay, it doesn't matter. We're going to figure it out. That's the idea. Uh -huh. Exactly. The idea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and tell me something. How do people around you would describe what you do? Because you are a multi-passionate <laughs> entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. I think like people from different, um, I think it, people would be hard pressed uh, to probably describe what 
I do. Um, and so for me, I like I literally just changed my Instagram to Media Maker because I I would like to be known as somebody that creates media and that evokes feelings that create and inspire powerful conversations uh, that are either led by me or not led by me. Mostly not led by me, right? And so, um, so yeah. So. I think it's important though for the multi-passionate entrepreneur um, to realize that there is one thing that can literally um, hold all of the things that you want to do. For example, I I love the idea that I, unfortunately not now, but over the last three years have been able to be all over the United States and all different places, different cities. Uh, tech companies, I've been to middle schools in the middle of nowhere, I've been, I've been to universities, to Ivy League schools, and um, it's all because of the movie that I made, right? And so I, get, I got to be creative and kind of create this thing with my creative partner, and then I get to be invited to speak about that thing. And then we have the podcast, so I get to be creative there too. Um, but that's a different type and different kind of expression. As you know, uh, it's a totally different type of expression than a film. And so, um, and then I have educational curriculum. It's a totally different expression of, um, you know, of the work. And, uh, and I feel like I've got something else, but I'm forgetting all the different things that I do, but, uh, oh, my coaching program. So being able to help people, you know, in a group setting and help them kind of get from point A to point B as well so um but there has to be like a central guiding thing and i i believe a lot of times people don't know what that is and my advice to you if you don't know is just allow it to come out because uh it eventually does and then that single thing actually delivers on all of the other things does that make sense that's pretty interesting. Why? Because while you are talking, I'm thinking about the Latin culture, right? Yeah, for example, yeah. yes, for example, you know that when you go to university back in our country, I'm from Peru, and for example, our parents, they pay the whole career for us, and that's a blessing over there. But the thing is that, for example, we have to choose the career that our parents want. Of course, it's not matching our passion, Mm. But even though, you know, we have to finish the career and when we finish the career, we have to find this job that they give us the title. Oh, and wow. for that, yes, and th that's really horrible because, for example, you said, okay, I'm going to, to be this kind of entrepreneur that I'm going to have different kind of business. Maybe they are not relating to each other, but there's something that I love, right? In Latin America, it's really difficult to do that for that thinking that I say, no. I graduated from economics, for example, I'm economist in my country, but in here, things change. Here, I'm a preschool teacher, and that's something that I love. But wow. in my country, yes, it's totally difficult. How come <laughs> economists is going to go <laughs> and teach preschoolers? That's ridiculous, really. Wow. Mm -hmm. but your, passion, your passion is preschool. Your passion is kids. Yes. But your training is in, uh, to be an economist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is fascinating. And I have another question because I know that people are listening that we are talking in English, but I want you to tell me something. Why are you talking in English? What kind of myths are there about you? I know that there's a, you are a Latina who doesn't speak Spanish. How come? Because there are a lot of friends that they don't know <laughs> that that kind of people exist in here. Yes. <laughs> 
we exist. And so here's mm-hmm. the thing is that I, um, this is so fast. This is such a big uh, subject. So I grew up in New York. I was born in Manhattan. My mother is from Puerto Rico. My father also was born in New York City, but his father was Cuban and his mother was Puerto Rican. And so I grew up at a time in the 1970s where if you were Latino, um, it wasn't safe. So I think people outside of the country and certainly my relatives in Puerto Rico were always highly critical of me becoming too Americana. And it was very difficult for me to receive that level of criticism and not really feel very protected from it, from my mom. And I think part of it was because perhaps she believed it too. Um, And Latino culture, like the one that my mom was raised in in Puerto Rico, and American culture are opposite in ideology. Their value system is 100% in opposition to each other. And so practically, um, my father wanted to protect us uh, by not teaching us Spanish. Um, I mean, my parents spoke in Spanish to each other all the time. I can 100% understand Spanish. And then my joke is if I have two glasses of Pinot Grigio, I will speak so much Spanish, you won't even know that I can't speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> I speak more like a fifth or sixth grader, but you'll be like, no, she can speak, but you know, I can communicate. I can hold my own. Now this, there's, you know, growing up, my father wanted, he, you know, he was teased. He was bullied. It didn't feel safe. And that's, you know, that's true. That was true in the 1970s and still true to this day. Like people physically aren't safe speaking Spanish in public. Like there was a shooting in Walmart last year. And I mean, in El Paso, like that is very real. It being Latino in the United States can sometimes feel like it's life or death if people know that you are right. Mm-hmm. So it literally isn't safe. Now, growing up, um, when, as soon as people found out that we were Puerto Rican, I'm what's called white passing because my entire family, I would say, has more of a stereotypical uh, look, uh, Latino look. I. Um, don't. And so even though for people that are Latino, they know that I have that look, but there are a lot of people that are totally clueless and they would think I'm Italian or Greek or Turkish or something, but that not Latino. And so um, as soon as people found out when I grew up in the suburbs of New York City, I began to be bullied. And so when your culture is, and then, you know, in my house, my house, I always say smelled like Puerto Rico. It smelled like sofrito. My parents were always um, playing music from, from Puerto Rico or Cuba or some kind of um, cultural music, right? Some kind of music that was from the home country. So it sounded like it, it tasted like it, it smelled like it, it felt like it. I was parented in a very Latino way, very strict, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of the house, I was having to deal with people that hated me because of it. And I had to survive. And of course, I would never bring that back home. I would never tell my mom I was struggling. I would never want them to think that the sacrifices they made to move us out of New York City. We, we lived in a tiny apartment, five people, two bedrooms, and they saved everything they had to, to buy a house in a really expensive area. And, and they talked about the sacrifices all the time. 
we ate rice and beans every night. And I know it's very Puerto Rican, but I'm sure it was also to save money. Mm-hmm. I didn't have expensive clothes. I, ha- I, I had the, the minimum of everything. And so I always like valued everything I had. And I was always reminded <laughs> of the sacrifice that you made. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to the immigrant parent that comes here, crosses the border. It's similar to, but not the same, but similar to that kind of the way that parent would speak to their child. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Very typical so, of a Spanish family, really. <laughs> oh yeah. Adding yes. the guilt, lots and lots of guilt. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, and like making me responsible for something that wasn't my responsibility, but anyway, so outside of my house, it was, it, it didn't feel safe. Like people were literally threatening me. I was in the seventh grade the first time that I got bullied and it happened for four years. And uh, it was so intense that um, my father uh, actually overheard um, someone calling the house and then, um, you know, he was going to take care of it. He was going to, um, he was going to talk to them. It was actually, it's, there's a scene in my film about this incident and, uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, my father knows, thank God it's all going to stop. And then unfortunately he passed away just a few weeks after that. And so I, my protector um, wasn't able to help me. And then I felt like I really couldn't talk to my mom about it. So, and then when I would go back to Puerto Rico, right? So like I'm hated by this group of people, not hated by everybody, but hated by a lot of people that I don't even know, but they hate me for being Puerto Rican, right? And this is also, there's another group of people that are like, you're not even Puerto Rican. You were born in New York, you're American. That's a whole nother story because we're so, t- we're taught um, to have so much pride of country, so much patria, right? It's instilled in us to have patria, to be proud of us, the food, the music, the traditions. And then people would come up to me and say, you're not Puerto Rican, you're American. You can't, you can't say you're Puerto Rican. And, and, but then I would go to Puerto Rico and guess what? They told me the same thing. You're not Puerto Rican. You're a gringa. Oh my God. Like gringa. That's really terrible. Mm-hmm. You're so white. You, you get sunburned because my whole family is really dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, we don't have sunscreen for you. Like you're so white. And like, um, you're Spanish. It was, it's like, I couldn't, um, I couldn't catch a break. I didn't feel enough here and I didn't feel enough there. And it was, and language was always used as a device. At, to measure my enoughness and it was it just ripped me apart how critical people were of me personally and how embarrassed my mother was of me and it's very difficult to learn Spanish when you're five six seven eight in a house that only speaks English right mm-hmm. it's very difficult and then the only Spanish I heard was my parents speaking Spanish so and I learned it. It's in my bones. It's in my DNA. I understand it. I under, it's, there's, you know, I just understand it, right? It's in my heart. Um, and there's an expectation though on me personally that I should have learned it anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very unfair to do to children. And, uh, and it's funny that my mother ended up sending me to Spain by myself for a month to, to finish learning Spanish because I was speaking Spanish, but she sent me there to finish learning Spanish. And no one really speaks English in Spain, especially where I lived for a month. And I came back. This is a perfect example of an Enya moment. I came back to New York 
dreaming in Spanish, only wanting to speak to my mother in Spanish. And my cousin from Puerto Rico was visiting and I was having a conversation with them and I said, vos, right? And he was like, excuse me. I know. And, and everybody said, you know, silence. <laughs> yeah. Denise thinks she's better than everybody. You sent her to Spain and now she thinks she's better. And the thing is now I'm almost 50. I can be like, I can, I'm okay. Someone can criticize like that. I can joke. It's okay. I'm an adult, but I was only 16. And I was so like, our, I was so tender, right? And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I'm actually fluent. I'm actually speaking. And they're still criticizing me. I'm never enough. And that was the seed of the film. Wow, that's pretty incredible. What has been or is the most difficult part of becoming the person you are today? The most difficult part has definitely been back to that question is my own self-realization, coming to terms with being able to walk and exist as my truest version of myself. I think that people are, I'll speak for myself, I for a long time thought that I was presenting the world with the most authentic version of me, but I absolutely was not. And I know I wasn't. My first lesson in this was when we were making the film, and my partner wanted to include scenes in my film that I didn't feel were particularly, um, like uh, the scenes in the film that were gonna show how I really am and the truth about what really happened and the, and the reality of my life, um, but they were less than perfect. And I realized I pretty much only wanna share perfection with the world. I don't want the world to see the real me. And he has been to the Oscars. He's very, very well-known uh, filmmaker. I'm very fortunate to work with him, right? So I had to trust him and trust that we could tell the story and include these things about me, even though I was super nervous to share them. And what's funny is those things are everyone's favorite scenes. Yes. Are the ones because... where I'm, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I watched the documentary like three times and I said oh my god the part that you break is like yeah. oh my god that's incredible she's been real really real I did not want that in the movie that wasn't even supposed to be in the movie that was a video for something else like if you watch it it's like are they making a movie here like it wasn't even like at that point we hadn't even started making the movie that was a video just for content And then some of, one, some of our editors found it and they were like, oh my God, this is so great. And I was like, absolutely not. I cannot have that in there. <laughs> and I have a question. How did you drop that perfectionism that you, that you mentioned? How did I do it? I, mm -hmm. First, I just had to trust my partner. And also I'm married to a guy that is, um, it's funny. My husband is, is not Latino. But he, in many ways, has like that, um, a, like a very masculine kind of way about him. That's kind of Latino, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and he loves, and is, I always say he's hard on the outside, but soft on the inside. Mm -hmm. And he loves my imperfections. That's his favorite part. And so he always encourages me. So I had my husband telling me, no, you should leave it. It's really good. And then I had my partner, who's become one of my dearest friends, say, trust me, it's really good. 
and then trusting both of them and then allowing this to be in the movie and then to realize, wow, everybody loves this and I know it because they're laughing. Um, and then after the film, people come up to me and I, I miss this so much. Um, you know, now that we're in the quarantine, this is like one of my, the things I miss the most is being able to meet people that see the film and then they come up to me afterwards and share with me what the film meant to them. And especially the scenes where they saw that I was my most real self. And I, I had to, I feel like I'm, I have an inclination even now to only want to share like the perfect stuff or the stuff that I perceive as perfect, right? Mm -hmm. But um, that's not the good stuff. No one cares about that stuff. They just want the real stuff, but it's still hard to share it, you know? Mm -hmm. But I know that that's what means something. It's not when I'm trying to present myself in another way. That's really incredible. And how do you deal with the criticism? Because I know in one of the parts of this this movie, you said that, oh, I don't want that. The things that I'm going to say hurt my family. Mm -hmm. Did you receive that feedback after the, the movie? Actually, it's funny. Not, I, ha I did not receive any negative feedback from my family about the movie. <laughs> like here I thought, oh my gosh, I don't want them to, you know, get their feelings hurt. Like, I didn't want anyone to feel responsible, back to the beginning of our conversation, for um, implanting these things, even though they should take some responsibility. They did that, right? <laughs> But at the time, I felt uh, responsible for their feelings. And I think that, unfortunately, is very Latino. Like, there is no, there is, I, you know, In the United States, it's very self-reliant. People are individuals, but I feel like in Latino culture, especially families, there's no individuality. It's like there's no beginning where the other person starts. Everything is the same and I'm responsible for your feelings. Right? Totally true, totally true. A lot of drama. <laughs> oh my gosh, and so now I get it and I get why I cried, but I definitely understand. Now I have an understanding of it. At the time, I was just experiencing it. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very difficult. I want to make this pause to invite you to visit the Selfish Latina podcast, where you can find stories about how Latinx culture and society shape our beliefs and behavior around who we think we are, what we believe is possible, and ultimately discovering where we belong. Don't forget, go and check it out, the Selfish Latina podcast. What do you think has been a bigger failure that you have had in the last years and why do you think it's happened? Yeah, um, so it's funny. I don't, um, my relationship with the word failure is very distorted. So I don't consider anything a failure. Like if the only way for me to be where I am right now is to have taken on a belief that if something doesn't work, um, my job is to learn from it and move on. But I don't classify any of anything that went wrong as a failure, as a way of keeping my mind clean. That's pretty cool. What do you, you think is the most common reason why people fail or stop believing in their projects? I think the most common reason is believing lies that have been passed to us and 
from like generation to generation. I think it's very, very hard, especially, and I hate to say it like this, I think it's, it's particularly hard to be Latina and start something new, um, like any kind of business venture. It is hard already, right? It's hard for men, white men. It's harder for white women. It's hardest, I think, for Latinas because there's so many cultural norms and beliefs that fixate us, that have us in fixed positions, ways we should be and ways we shouldn't be. There's a lot of right and wrong and a lot of this not enoughness, a lot of this passed down belief that we need something outside of ourselves. Um, it's very strange that people in our community believe uh, they'd wrap, they, they want to do something so bad, but they will literally invest $50,000 on a master's degree before they will give themselves permission to do something that they could do today without the degree. But our community values degrees and certifications and anything that seems official and formal above all else and above our own ability, honestly, to Google is what is what it comes down to. Right. Yes. And so. Um, so that holds us back the belief that I am not enough as I am and that babies are not born like that little kids my kids were not born believing that they were not enough right but they see it on television they you know people it's incredible when you listen to how people talk to kids and the things that kids get a chance to overhear the message comes through loud and clear you don't have what it takes and then there's the, what are you going to do when you grow up? All these, all these messages, right? And then there's all these cultural things like um, an expectation of my daughters to always help and clean up after a meal, right? They're not allowed to go play outside after we eat. They have to take their plate and everybody else's plate and put it in the dishwasher and help clean up when all the boys get to go outside. There's so many things that were conditioned um, uh, to believe is our role and and so when we think and have these big ideas about our life immediately we're like well I can't do that or I would need something else other than what I have right now in order to accomplish that it's a setup and so I feel like my job is to say no 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 like you actually have everything you need and there is nothing else that you need you can get started today right and so my work oftentimes is helping people with their mind, mostly. That's pretty awesome. And I was thinking about the name of your podcast because it's the Selfish Latina. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you think that we have to become like kind of selfish, but in a good way in order to reach our dreams? Yes, we can't even, it's so funny. When I, I go into Fortune 500 companies and I do workshops, I do keynotes and I teach people about ideologies. I teach people about Latino, the dominant Latino ideology is collectivism. It values the group. Um, there's a hierarchy. That's why we re respect our elders. It's very, Catholicism is very, very heavily influenced into the rules of, of collective thinking, right? And then we're raised here in the United States where self-reliance is the number one ideology, where the single person is more important than the group, right? And so in our way of looking at things when someone does something for themselves like even the smallest little thing 
they're selfish, right? Yes. That's terrible. That's terrible. Oh, it's so bad. And no one wants to be that. Like no one wants to be that. So we like overdo it. We give, we give and give and give. And we're like the biggest martyrs. We will give, I I did a video, um, it's on my Facebook page and I was trying to make a point and I said, um, something like putting your family first is the worst thing you can do. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and I like, I did a whole video about it. And if you watch the video, it actually, I'm really proud of it. Right. And I was making a point, like if you don't help, if you don't take time for yourself, guess what? You can't give anything to anybody else. Like just give it a try. Try to live a lifetime. You will, re- you will resent and hate everybody. Right. That's why all, that's why all these old la- like Latina ladies are so grumpy right? because <laughs> they're not, they're pissed. They're martyrs. They're like, oh, no one helps me. No one does enough for me. And I know that I'm generalizing, but I'm also not really generalizing. Okay. Cause it is kind of an archetype in our culture. Right. So there was so many people that commented, someone commented that I was a disgrace to the whole Latino community. Mm-hmm. That one hurt the most. That's been the the criticism of me that hurt the most was that one, but I'm actually totally fine with it now. But when I read it, I was like, ouch, that really hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's someone that told me that if we, if anyone listens to my video, any woman listens to my video, they will literally be stripping the culture of what it's the culture is about. Like how can anyone be Latino if they don't put their family first? Right. It's a very interesting question. Like, it's an, and it's a good rhetorical question. It's a great question to have a dialogue about. Like, why? And the thing is, it's not about men. This is about women, right? And it's about what we have a right to and what we don't have a right to. And so we don't get to have our life, especially if we have kids. We have to turn our life over to the kids. And if we don't, we're being selfish. And that's the worst thing that we can be called, right? So uh, the comments in this video are fascinating. It's like a sociology class. I can't tell you how many people responded, Latina women in their 50s and 60s that were sick. They said they got cancer, fibromyalgia, diseases, like listing off crazy stuff, just saying, listen to her. I did it like this. I put everybody first. I never, I never took care of myself. I always exhausted myself trying to be the perfect Latina mother, and now I'm sick. Like a disproportionate amount of women, and said that over and over again. And then there were people, you know, criticizing me and whatever. But um, but the but I don't even know. Am I? I don't even know what question I'm answering anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. It's really really interesting because you said that yes, there's a lot of pressure on Latin women, and you mentioned something about the, having kids. This is not my case. We don't have kids yet. And there's the pressure for the family. But you have to have kids. But you have to have kids. And there's something really. So family is asking you to have kids. Family is asking you to be professional. Family is asking you, you know, to become millionaire or successful. But how come? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, if they're here, I think there are different questions that happen here that that don't happen in, I call it the home country. Um, I think when the self-reliant ideas um, penetrate the mind here in the United States, that's when the pressure of having a successful job comes into play. Because I think in like Puerto Rico, it's been totally acceptable for my female cousins to get great degrees, right? Multiple degrees and not necessarily to have a career. 
let's say. Like it's really the husband's job to have the career and to be the big provider, but the wife is really there. She's educated, she can, you know, she could get a good job, but really her best job, her most important job is to be a mom right? Mm. And I grapple with that because I love being a mom. I love my, my kids. And I grapple with wanting a life of my own and wanting to fulfill on this big idea to create and inspire a dialogue about our culture and how it shows up in all the different ways it does here in the United States. But now it's in Australia, it's in Europe, people are talking about the project in the entire diaspora of, of the community. And the reason is because these things are universal and they're hurting people. There's something about these ideas that get perpetuated that are damaging to people. And I'm not um, trying to be critical. I am trying to get people to question these things and redesign what it looks like to be Latino and especially Latina. I feel like the men get off so easily in this conversation. It's the women that have to do the work and I wanna lead them, right? I wanna help them and inspire them to redesign what it looks like because there's so many things that we can do and be and have and it doesn't have to mean that we're selfish or a bad mother or don't care. So the reason why I named my podcast The Selfish Latina is because I didn't want to. I didn't want to call it that. It was actually like this conversation in the office. It was a joke. I meant it as a joke in my office. And then my partner was like, no, that's really, really good. And I said, no, 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 I'm not naming this podcast Selfish Latino. Like, I never want to be called that. But we did it to make a point. And you did, <laughs> really, you <laughs> did. <laughs> what is the most important thing you have learned in your life? Um, Well, the most important thing I've learned in my life is I would say that, that everything important comes down to love. And like, if I can bring love and express love with my work and bring love and express love in my family and my friends and my community, um, then I'm doing life, I guess, right. If there's a way to do it right. But when I don't bring love and when I bring lack or like when I bring something other than love, it, things don't seem to work as well. Totally agree with you. Yeah, love is everything. What is yeah. the most important conversation you have had in life? Um, I would say a conversation I have with myself, forgiving myself. Forgiving for what, if we can know? <laughs> yeah, no, for not being, you know, what, you know, I'm just as human as everyone else just because I, I have incredible self-awareness at times and other times I am totally blind, right? And I'm, I, I can be really hard on myself, especially about things around culture and, you know, not being enough here, not being enough there, disappointing my children or my husband or my, or my parents, my, my siblings, my, you know, my family. And um, the most important work I've really ever done is to forgive myself for um, not, or for believing that I'm not enough, you know? I'm forgiving myself for falling short or for getting mad too quickly um, with my children or for interrupting somebody before they could get their idea out, you know? For not being patient, for, 
you know, not living like that love, which is where I aspirationally want to be all the time, but fall short often. I can understand that uh, this wasn't a life, lifetime conversation. Maybe this is a dialogue that you always have it constantly, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. If you could return the time to your 17 or 18 years, what could you say to yourself? I would definitely say that it's all going to be okay. And you are going to be okay. When I was 17, my brother was killed in a car accident and my life turned upside down. And I had no idea who I was without him. It was, we had a very close sibling relationship, similar to my daughters now. My brother and I were, um, you know, for half the year, we were one year apart and the other half, we were two years apart. And we shared um, a lot of things in the movie. You hear all the things that we shared and we even had a, our own like language. Um, we could just look at each other and understand how we felt. We were, we were closer than I've ever been to another human being in my life. And when he died, I was just a mess. And I literally, I made a decision when I was 17 that I was going to be unlucky. And because my father had died a few years before that, and there were some parts um, of my life that I did not share in the film that are actually going to be in our second film. And um, up when I was 17, I had lived a lifetime of trauma. And I just said, I guess I'm just one of those people that's unlucky. And uh, that's a big decision to make when you're so young. And so if I could talk to her now, I would say, you're wrong. Thank really, you. You're such an amazing woman. Thank what, you. Know. <laughs> what are you most grateful for in your life? Oh gosh, I have so many things to be grateful for. Um, my, I mean, I'm so grateful that I met the most extraordinary man <laughs> that supports all of my crazy ideas and tolerates me, is patient with me and talks to me and believes in me. And also that we were able to have children. I've been pregnant five times and I have two kids and super, super grateful to be their mom. And then of course, grateful to do the work that I get to do every day. It's really, I feel like I'm very lucky to check off a lot of boxes in my life. That's pretty awesome. And everything started with, with one thought. Yeah. Well, yes. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best hack of life to make this world a remarkable place to live? The best hack is to believe, I think, that we all get an assignment um, or like a, an idea placed on our heart Like, we're all charged with something to do with our life. Like, a lot of people believe that they're here for a reason. And so I'll be up on a stage and I'll say, how many people here feel like you were born and like you're here for some greater purpose? And like, arms will always go up, right? And a lot of people, though, don't know what that greater purpose is and spend a lot of time saying, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, right? But it's because they're ignoring um, or discounting or not believing that that thing um, that they always keep thinking about, um, they discount it because they don't think it's possible for them, right? And so uh, the biggest hack is to actually embrace that thing and see if you can build a life around it. That's a really pretty answer. 
but I know the same like you that there are a lot of people that they don't know why they are here. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad, really sad because most of those people, they are wasting their time. They are wasting this beautiful life. But I know you as a great coach, you help people to find out their way. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you that question. What do you do? On Thursday, on Instagram, in our Vive Remarkable page, we always drop a question that we call the Remarkable Q. We do this question in order to raise awareness to people. And the question for this week is, what makes you feel inspired or like it so much that it brings out the best in you? Or like it so much that it brings out the best in you? Yeah, so I mean, my work. Like, I love conversations around Latino identity, belonging, and worthiness. I'm fascinated by conversations around that and what, what it means to belong. Um, I love talking to people about their life experience. Um, I, I have gotten sick and tired of so many things I've chosen to do for a living. And in eight years, I'm still fascinated by this conversation. And it really drives me to, um, to wake up every morning and be excited about what I get to do. That's pretty awesome because actually you built the life that you once dreamed. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And now this is the time that you need to tell us what are you doing now? What are your most recent projects? Yeah. So aside from making a new film, we have, uh, we're kind of on pause with our new film. And so since I'm not on the road speaking, which is really what I'm best known for is traveling and speaking and screening our award-winning film, Being Enya, I focus a lot of my attention on two things. One is the podcast that we talked about, the Selfish Latina podcast. And two is the Enya Dream Accelerator coaching group. And really I developed this coaching group because I met so many extraordinary women on the road and a handful of them would stay in touch with me. And I loved that. And I loved that they had my phone number and that they would text me and I would get calls wherever I was in airports and hotels. Hey Denise, do you have 15 minutes? I just want to run this idea past you. Or I don't know what I want to do about this. What do you think? And I found myself coaching people one-on-one a lot, like a lot, a lot. And so I was in Columbus, Ohio. And I literally did three back-to-back calls like this, and I was supposed to be getting ready for a speaking engagement, but I was on the phone trying to help all these people, right? Which I loved and I'm not complaining about. And then it dawned on me, maybe I should start a coaching group because I'm telling these women the exact same thing over and over and over again. I'm just telling them the same stuff, right? And the principles that I share are, are, can be applied uh, to really anyone as long, and, and if they take it, it's going to be amazing. And so I decided to launch this program called the Enya Dream Accelerator, and I had no idea if it was going to work. And so I literally posted it in my Instagram stories and said, hey, I'm doing this. Um, if you're interested, uh, send me a DM. And a handful of people said they were interested. And a few weeks later, we launched. It was super simple. And I did a six-week program, and I realized that there was something there. And there were five women that did that program. Now we have almost 40 women in the program. And my goal by the end of this year is to have 500 women in the program. So it's a month-to-month membership. And even though it's open to any woman and people that identify as women, um, it 
does have um, a theme or I do teach and coach from a Latino perspective. And so since I really deeply understand these ideological challenges that we have that are very specific to our community, I'm able to help people in an additional way, in a little bit more of a customized way, if that makes sense, because I understand and have unfortunately had to deal with a lot of this stuff personally. So we have coaching calls every single month. There is a foundational course that people get to take, which is five hours, uh, five modules, five hours of my very best thinking um, on mindset and tools that I used to make my film with no experience, no relationships, and no money, and the tools I use to this day as I make my next film pitch to huge outlets, have a top 100 podcast, and a film that has a budget of a million dollars now. Um, my work is never done, and so I'm constantly reaching for my own toolbox from that foundations course, and then the women come into the course with big ideas. The course is really the best for the woman who knows what she wants to do, and it's okay if she's scared. Like, if you're not scared, then it's not big enough, I say, right? So it's best for the woman that's like, I think I want to write a book. Awesome then we're gonna get your book written. Or I think I wanna do a launch a podcast, awesome. We're gonna launch a podcast. And then there's all these other women that are part of the community that um, you know, we attract who we are, right? And so I am my best version of me right now. And so it's exciting that the women that are part of this course, I would call them on a scale of one to 10, 10 being highly supportive, one being not supportive at all, they're all tens. So if somebody comes in and says, oh my God, I just got a TED talk or oh my God, I just got a call from a huge brand that wants to partner with me. It's like, everybody's like, Whoa, oh my gosh, that's so great. You're doing so great. And they just get loved up. So sometimes when you're Latina and you're an entrepreneur, you're dealing with all this stuff internally. And then you have comments from your family that are like, really? What about your kids, right? Which is the number one comment from my mother traveling all over the country. Denise, where are you? Oh, I'm in whatever, Sacramento. Who's with the kids? I'm, I'm happily married for 15 years. And my mother always asked me, who's with the kids, right? <laughs> this is, I mean, how typical Latina. When are you coming? How is this affecting them? Are they upset that you travel so much? How long are you planning on doing this? I mean, like this is every single week of my life almost for three years. And so I understand uh, the extra stuff that we have to deal with and it can be very lonely, right? And so I've created this space where um, there's just a lot of love and support and strategy and practical tools, right? Because we also want to accomplish things. Um, but mostly it's like the most ideal environment to thrive. If you have a big idea, this would be the place that it would have the highest likelihood to grow and bear fruit. And I can't wait. I just enrolled really. <laughs> and yes, and I'm so happy, really. I'm so happy to have you here because uh, I know that these days are going to start the group, the, the calls for everybody else. So I'm really happy to have you here. And I know that after a year, I'm going to have you and hopefully I'm going to be much better in oh my, my English, in everything, really. 
you are going to be so surprised. And that's what's amazing. And that's one thing I didn't anticipate is everybody in EDA loves talking on their anniversary. Everybody knows their anniversary. And so when people say, oh my gosh, this is my EDA anniversary, like someone, you know, they'll usually bring it up on a call or this week I had my EDA anniversary. And then I'll give them a chance to share, like, tell us, like, you know, like, I just can't believe everything I've done. And they'll say, I wanted to do this, I did that. I wanted to do this, I did that. But here's the thing, those things never went, came to them the way that they thought. Like we think that one plus one equals two and four plus six equals 10. We think that, that that's how the world works, but it does not work like that. Sometimes people ask me, how did I create this whole thing? And literally the easiest answer is magic because I can't show you how. I can tell you what I made sure to think and made sure the ways that I, I was being and the things I wasn't available for. Like, I don't believe in failure. It's just not part of my belief system. And so that is part of the magic when you just don't look at things like that and you're like, oh, cool, I learned this. Awesome, thank you, thank you for that thing. Now I know something else and I'm gonna go and try it again, right? It's everything is a lesson. In theory, people get that. In practice, it's something totally different. And so over the course of a year, you literally, like the women that have been in EDA, EDA will be around for two years in November. And there are women that have been in the program for over a year. And you can see, you can, you can feel it on them. They just, the way they talk, the things they say, the things they don't say, it's very obvious that they have transformed. And what I, the way I like to describe it is there is um, Michelangelo, um, he sculpted uh, the, the David sculpture. That's I think in, um, where is it? It's either in Italy or it's in- In, in Italy, yes, in Italy. Italy. <laughs> yeah, okay, so like people, I heard that someone asked him, how did he do it, right? How did he create one of the most revered um, pieces of art of all time? And he answered very simply, I chipped away everything that wasn't David. Oh, wow. And that's what EDA does. I can't wait to feel that magic, girl. <laughs> <laughs> what are you most proud of in your life? What makes you remarkable? Well, honestly, what makes me remarkable is that I actually pulled this whole thing off and that I pulled it off with a strong belief in my worthiness and a strong belief in that I can make my desires real. And that is remarkable. And my greatest hope obviously is to continue to keep doing this work and putting out media that inspires people and, and changes um, people's minds, frankly. Um, and an extension of this is something I had no idea would happen is that I get to be the cause of someone else living a remarkable life. That to me is bigger than a cherry on top. Like that is kind of like that mind blowing moment. Like if you listen and take my coaching, I can show you all these people who did the same, who are living a remarkable life. And it's not me, I'm just sharing universal truth, but I'm sharing it in my own Denise way, right? And uh, 
that it's a, it's a remarkable accomplishment that I listened to what I believe was my life's assignment and I created this thing. Um, and now I get to teach other people how to do it as well. And they get to live a remarkable life too. Yay! You know, I see you and I see, oh my God, in a few years, I want to become like Denise. Ah, that's awesome. That's really wonderful. And when you are ready to cross over to your things in Spanish, please, I want to be there sharing you, helping you. You are really, really awesome. Thank you. Denise, where can we find you? So the best place to find me on in you know website is projectenya.com projectenye.com and uh, I really spend a lot of time on Instagram especially on Instagram stories and so if you want to see the behind the scenes of my personal life and of my work life and the quotes that I love and my you know whatever I I decide I want to share in a video that is the place to follow me and I spent a lot of time creating our posts and I was telling someone today, literally someone could transform just reading every one of my posts because I pour my heart and soul out into those posts. So please meet me there. And if you'd like to see the film that started this entire thing, you can find it at projectenya.com. You'll see there's a spot to put your email and you can watch it. And then if you push reply on any of those emails, it goes to my personal email box. Yes, and totally I'm going to uh, share the link in the notes of this podcast also. Thank you. And I have a question. Yeah, before saying goodbye, why any? <laughs> you should you should have you know you should have choose A, B, C, but why any? Yeah, so any so uh, a lot of people know in the United States we I you know we use words sometimes to identify a generation. And sometimes we use letters. And so there's millennials, right? And then there's Gen X and Gen Y. And so when I was living in Miami in my 20s, I was driving and I had had the idea for the film. So I was 26 years old. I had the idea for the film already. And, but I didn't have a name and I didn't have a, any kind of framework around the idea. But when I was driving, I heard a commercial and the and the, the voice in the commercial said, if you know all the words to Kimara, but you also love Madonna, you're an Enya. If you know how to make a rojo gandule, but you also eat hot dogs and hamburgers, you're an Enya. And it just went back and forth like that. And I remember driving saying, oh my gosh, I'm an Enya. And that is really, that was the, the root was being able to identify not only with being Generation X, but this other part where I felt this duality that I know a lot of people from a lot of different generations experience that duality, and it finally had a name. And so when we decided to uh, create this film and the business around it, we thought we would use that, like this is our logo, and I'm pointing to the logo with the actual Enya with the squiggle on top. And then we changed, and, and then a lot of people want to know, why is it E-N-Y-E? It's because literally that's the phonetic spelling. So if you look it up, it's E-N-Y-E. So people would pronounce it right, right? And at the time, I couldn't buy an Enya, like on GoDaddy. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't available. So now I own Project Enya, 
but I couldn't, it wasn't ownable. They just didn't, just like on Twitter or yeah, Twitter, you, you can't have a handle with an Enya. It just doesn't exist. And we actually tried to get Twitter to change that, but they, they never changed it. And so anyway, so it wasn't available. And so I made it E-N-Y-E. And then later on, we changed it to an E with a tilde. And so the E stands for the American experience and the tilde stands for the, the nod to Latinidad. That's pretty awesome. Really, that's pretty awesome. Thank Denise, you. thank you. Thank you so much for coming to this show. We've learned a lot with you, really. And there's no doubt that you are creating something really, really amazing. Thank you. Thank you again to share, for sharing your love, for sharing your hope for a better world. Thank you. Thank you. This has been really great. I appreciate it. Muchas gracias por llegar al final de este inspirador episodio por el mes de la herencia latina. De todo corazón, espero que hayas disfrutado al máximo y aprendido sobre esta historia remarcable. ¿Quieres ayudarme a contagiar de esta tremenda energía a todo el mundo? Suscríbete al canal de Vive Remarkable para nuevos episodios cada semana en tu plataforma de podcast favorita que es totalmente gratis. Recuerda que también puedes compartir este episodio e inspirar a crear más conciencia. Encuéntranos en Facebook y en YouTube como Vive Remarkable y en Instagram como vive.remarkable. No te pierdas nuestros episodios en IG TV. Y recuerda que tú no naciste para encajar, naciste para ser remarkable. Hasta un próximo episodio.